0: Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. "I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it, I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super-apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. How were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for a third time, and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder, I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. This is the word of the Lord. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that has impressed me about this letter of Paul to the Corinthians as we've been walking through it is how remarkably pastoral it is. We have letters in the New Testament that we call the pastoral letters, the letters of Paul to Timothy and to Titus. These are letters that we call the pastoral letters because they're letters written by Paul to other pastors. Timothy and Titus were pastors in their own churches, and so in the letters that Paul writes to them, Paul writes to pastors about being a pastor, what it means to be a pastor, what a pastor's supposed to do, and some specific advice about situations that were going on in their churches. And so we call them the pastoral letters. But I think that the letter of 2 Corinthians is even more pastoral than Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. The difference is that in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing about being a pastor, not to another pastor, but to the church. And Paul doesn't sugarcoat things. He's very straightforward and realistic. Paul knows that the church isn't perfect. Paul knows that the church is full of sinners. But Paul knows That these sinners in the church are forgiven by God and are being formed and transformed into a community of God's people, the temple of God on earth. The reason that Paul writes about being a pastor to the Christians in Corinth is because of the issue of the super-apostles these leaders in the church who were questioning Paul's authority, questioning his intentions, questioning his integrity. And it's really quite funny when you read through the argument in chapters 10 through 12, like we've done over these past two Sundays, because Paul is so sarcastic. Paul is so sarcastic in these passages. Paul is playing their game, but he's not playing by their rules. The super apostles, as Pastor Amanda showed us last Sunday, are impressive people. They are successful, they are engaging, they are charismatic speakers, they're powerful leaders, and they're constantly comparing themselves to little Paul. Constantly showing how they are superior to him in authority and in spirituality and in speaking ability And we've seen hints of that throughout this letter. The super apostles are boasting. And so Paul says, okay, you want me to boast? You want me to boast like the super apostles? Okay, I'll boast. I'll boast in my weakness. I'll boast in my failure. I'll boast in how I've been lashed and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and arrested and imprisoned and exiled and robbed and starved and exposed. That's what I'll boast in. Paul doesn't want to be praised. Paul wants God to be praised. And so Paul says, if I must boast... This is what we read last Sunday. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Paul boasts in his weakness to show the Corinthians that there is nothing in humanity that is impressive, nothing in human beings that is worth worshiping. To God be the glory, and to God alone. That's what Paul's saying. And so in the passage that we read for today, Paul starts out by saying, "I must I must go on boasting" Although it won't do anybody any good, I will go on to revelations and visions from the Lord. And he goes on to describe a man who he knew who was caught up to the third heaven, caught up to paradise, where he heard things that he couldn't explain and saw things that people don't even have words to describe. I will boast about a man like that, Paul says. But I will not boast about myself. Except about my weakness. Now when Paul talks about the third heaven, what he's talking about there is what we would just say is heaven. The, the Greek language um, only has one word for uh, heaven and sky and um, that, that, that's the same word. Sky and heaven are the same word. And so you see in some parts of the Bible that different translations will interpret the word differently and so like in Matthew uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is baptized, some translations say, the heavens were opened and a voice from heaven spoke. And other translations will say, the sky was opened and a voice from the sky spoke. It's because it's the same word in the Greek. And so what people in Paul's day would do to, to, show, to, to make clear what, what sky they were talking about, what heaven they were talking about, um, is they would refer to these levels of heaven. And so the first heaven was the the atmosphere around the earth where clouds are and where where weather happens. And then the second heaven was where the heavenly bodies move, the sun and the moon and the stars. People in Paul's day knew that these were farther away than the clouds, um, but they, they were still considered part of the sky. And then the third heaven that Paul talks about, the third heaven referred to the spiritual heaven, referred to the place where God is. And this isn't so much... A physical space as it is like a different dimension, a spiritual dimension. Um, and we talked about that a few Sundays ago. But that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul, Paul's talking about someone who he knows who had a heavenly vision, who had a special revelation from God. And there's different ideas about who he's talking about here. Some scholars think that Paul is talking about himself, that Paul's talking about himself. But he's talking about himself in the third person because he doesn't want to bring attention to himself. And so they point to uh, verse 7 where Paul says, uh, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And we know from the book of Acts that Paul did have spiritual visions on a number of occasions, so that could be a possibility. But other scholars think that Paul is talking about one of the super apostles, and i think that this probably fits better with the the tone of this part of the letter that that paul said paul cuz the super apostles one of the things that the super apostles were saying was that they had greater authority than paul because god spoke to them directly god spoke to them through visions and through special revelations and paul was only repeating what he had been taught by the disciples in jerusalem boring We have special visions from God. Paul just teaches what he's been taught. And so it fits the tone a little bit better because Paul becomes a bit sarcastic if we read it this way, right? Paul is saying, you know, 14 years ago, 14 years ago, this guy had a vision. Now that's something to boast about. That, that is impressive. This guy had a spiritual vision. And you're all still paying attention to him and giving him leadership positions in your church because 14 years ago he had some experience that he can't even explain with human words. But either way, whether Paul's talking about a spiritual experience that he had or a spiritual experience that one of the super apostles had, the point... That Paul's making is the same. Paul is saying that spiritual experiences are, are real and that they're a blessing. But they're not the end-all and be-all of Christian living. There's more to the Christian life than having a spiritual experience. And that's why Paul ends this paragraph by saying that he doesn't want anyone to think more of him than is warranted by what he does Or what he says. Look at my life, Paul says. Listen to my words. Don't be distracted by people's spiritual experiences. And to hit this home, Paul says that he was given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. And people have different ideas about what this means, too. Some people think that Paul had some sort of physical illness that he was wrestling with that that threatened his ministry. Some people think that maybe he was going blind or that maybe he is talking about the the depression and anxiety that that he was wrestling with after his last visit to Corinth. Other people think that Paul is talking about some sort of temptation that plagued him throughout his life, some, some sort of sin that he was constantly tempted to. And other people think that Paul's talking about the persecution that he faced throughout his ministry, persecution from the Jews and the Romans. And maybe he's even talking about the the opposition in the church that he's facing from these super apostles, which would really be kind of a a funny way to interpret it, that Paul's saying, you know, I know a man who had spiritual visions 14 years ago, but God gave me a thorn in my side, and it's these men right here, who have been undermining my authority. And that spiritual vision didn't do anything about them. They're still there. They're still a thorn in my side. It's kind of a... It sort of fits the sarcastic tone here. But what, whatever it is, uh, Paul says that he pleaded with God three times for God to take it away. And the Corinthians would have expected the next sentence to say, and the third time, God answered my prayer. The third time, God delivered me. But that's not what he says. Instead, we get a little bit of a surprise. God doesn't heal Paul. God doesn't take away his thorn. Instead, God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. And this is where Paul's boasting comes to an end. The super apostles were saying that they were better than Paul, that they had better credentials, that they were better speakers, that they were more successful, that they had special visions and revelations from God. And Paul's answer is that he too has a revelation from God. The gospel. The gospel of the God who created light out of darkness, the gospel of the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the gospel of the God who reveals his power in weakness, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul's boasting begins and ends. Paul will not boast in himself. He will boast in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul doesn't have time for the super apostles who think that they're better than him. Paul has more important things to do. Paul has a church to give himself up for. Paul has a flock that God has called him to lead. Paul has to be a pastor now. And so Paul turns to the church again and reminds them that he's coming to visit them for a third time. He won't be a burden to them because he's their father. He will give everything up for them. He will give everything he has for them. He will give his very self up for them. And then in verse 19, Paul says something very interesting. He says, Have you been thinking all along that we were defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do Dear friends, everything we do is for your strengthening. It's perfect because the Corinthians, this whole letter, have been hoping that Paul would bring them a letter of recommendation from one of the other churches to establish his credentials or would defend himself against the, the attacks that the super apostles are bringing against him. And Paul, throughout this letter, has done nothing more than point to Jesus. Everything that he does, Paul says, is in the sight of God. Everything that we do as Christians, Paul's been saying this throughout the letter, everything that we do as Christians is in the sight of God. So Paul doesn't care what the false apostles think about him. He cares about the church. He cares about the spiritual well-being of the church. And so he's not going to defend himself against their accusations. He doesn't have time for that. He wants to make sure that the Christians in Corinth know the gospel of Jesus Christ, know the love that God has for them. Paul isn't unrealistic. He isn't naive. We saw earlier in this letter that Paul was just so thrilled when he got the news from Titus that the Christians in Corinth wanted to reconcile with him. But Paul's not unrealistic. He knows that this isn't the end of their story. They have a ways to go. And he knows that even though they've devoted themselves to him, that doesn't mean that everything is fixed. That doesn't mean that everything's better. There's still brokenness. There's still sin. There's still weakness. But they're going to work through that together as the body of Christ. Because the power of God is made perfect in weakness. I love this passage. Because I think that there's a lot that this passage has to say to where we are now in society. We live in an age where people either think that spiritual visions are are necessary for Christians or that they're not real. You have people on the one hand who think that all Christians everywhere need to have a special vision, a special revelation from God to be assured of their salvation. And you have people on the other end who think that spiritual visions are sort of a combination of hormones and brainwashing and temporary insanity. But what Paul tells us is something very different. Paul tells us that spiritual visions are certainly real, that they're a blessing. I will boast in a man like that, Paul says. Maybe he's being sarcastic but they're real and they're a blessing. That's what Paul says. But then he goes on to say that they're not the end all and be all of Christian existence. Spiritual visions, spiritual experiences are not what confirm us in God's love. They're not where the power of God is revealed. The power of God is revealed when the church is the church. The power of God is revealed in God working through broken people to bring his kingdom on earth. The power of God is revealed when forgiven sinners love each other as God loves them. That's where the power of God is revealed. Some people have visions from God, Paul says. But as for me, I have a thorn in my flesh. And spiritual visions haven't done anything to help with that. Some people have spiritual visions, but I have a thorn in my flesh. And I need the church to be the church. And so you need to set aside your quarreling, your jealousy, your anger, your factions, your slander, your gossip, your arrogance, your disorder. You need to repent of your sins, Paul says. And You need to be the church. Not all of us have heavenly visions. Not all of us have spiritual experiences. For people who do have those things, maybe that's helpful to their faith. Maybe that confirms them in God's love and helps them through the darkness and brokenness of this world, I don't know. But I do know that for a lot of people, the church is the only vision of God that they're going to get in this life. The people of God, united in Christ, washed in his blood, Living out the love of God on earth. Paul has been telling us throughout this letter that the church is a vision of God. That God works through the church in power. And he's saying this to the church in Corinth, which is probably the most dysfunctional church in the Mediterranean. The church, Paul says, is our vision of God. So often we get caught up in the game that the super apostles want to play, this game of credentials, of one-upmanship, of spiritual boasting. We compare ourselves to others, and we think that we're better, that we're more successful, that we're more spiritual. But when we come together as the people of God, there's no room for that. When I was living in Grand Rapids, I had a conversation with a man named Chad. And Chad told me that when he was in his teens, he stopped going to church. And it was because of a lot of the reasons that Paul says here. He was in a church that emphasized spiritual experiences and he had never had one. He struggled profoundly with sin in his life and didn't feel like he could tell anyone because that was weakness. That would show that God wasn't working in him right. He was sick of the church. He was sick of the quarreling, the jealousy, the anger, the factions, the slander, the gossip, the arrogance, the disorder. He was sick of being a part of a church that pretended to be so holy, but was really so broken. And so, when he went off to college, he left the church. He never missed it. Never missed it. But then he started dating a nice Christian girl. And she asked him to come to church with her, which he really didn't want to do. But he was very in love. And so he said, okay, I'll go once. And his plan was to go once and then complain about it so much that she would never invite him back. That was his plan. But when he got to church, something happened that he didn't expect. Toward the beginning of the service, everyone in the church prayed a prayer of confession. Every single person in the church confessed that they struggled with sin in their lives and that they needed God's forgiveness. Everyone, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, The farmers and the businessmen and the high schoolers and the stay-at-home moms, everyone, even the pastor, confessed that they were sinners that needed God's grace. And then at the end of the service, everyone in the church took communion. The pastor went to the table of the Lord. He said the words of institution. He gave a short teaching on the sacrament and everyone was welcomed to receive God's grace. And that, Chad told me, was amazing because everyone was equal. Everyone was a sinner in need of God's grace. Everyone confessed their brokenness. Everyone confessed their weakness. Everyone came and received God's grace. And that, Chad said, was amazing. That was powerful. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the message that God gives to Paul. This is the message that God gives as a special revelation to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the message that Paul wants the Corinthians to hear and that Paul wants us to hear. We are weak, but God works through us in power, treasures in jars of clay, God works through us by his grace and he unites us together into one body as the temple of God on the earth, transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, into a vision of God to those who are lost. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Oh, Lord our God, we thank you that you reveal your power in our weakness. We thank you that in our sin you show us forgiveness. We thank you that in our sorrow you show us joy. We thank you that in death you show us the resurrection. When we are poor, you make us rich. When we are sick, you make us well. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. And Lord, we pray that you would work your power in our weakness today as we come together to worship you, as we come together to receive your grace through the Lord's Supper. We pray that you would work powerfully in us to make us the church, that we would be a vision of God To those who are lost and wandering in this dark and lonely world, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us today. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.